The world is evolving at a faster pace than ever before. And as we begin the path to recovery after worldwide disruption, this podcast explores how the design industries can adapt to changing expectations and create a better future for both your businesses and your consumers. I'm Bethan Ryder, Executive Editorial Director here at WGSN. You're listening to Create Tomorrow, the WGSN podcast. We covered the move to omnichannel retail in episode 20 back in February, but as we enter what's traditionally the busiest time for retail in many regions, we thought it was time to shine a light on bricks and mortar stores and discuss what brands and retailers can do to lure consumers back. What's the future of the store and what hybrids or strategies can businesses employ to play a part in creating thriving cities again? Or is there something else entirely new around the corner we're going to see in the future? Discussing this with me today is Ian McGarrigal from our sister essential brand, World Retail Congress. Hi, Ian. Hi, Bethan. Great to be here. Thank you for joining us. And we've got Laura Saunter, our senior strategist on Insight and one of our retail experts. Hi, Laura. Hi, thanks for having me. And also Joe McGinn, our senior strategist who oversees our City by City platform and basically knows what's going on around the world um, in stores and on high streets. Hi, Joe. Hi, Bethan. Right, so I'd like to kick off um, about the point that we're sort of reaching this busy time for retail and the holiday season. And I'm wondering if consumers will be flooding back to shops in real life or do we think that we've all got far too cosy at home and we'll be shopping online? And I wanted to sort of um, open that up really to Ian, first of all, to see um, what, what he's seeing out there. Well, I think the context of, as we go into this uh, busy period is the this massive acceleration of e-commerce that, of course, we've seen since the start of the pandemic. And, uh, you know, e-commerce has grown dramatically. Um, and that's going to be the big question uh, facing retailers going beyond the, uh, the the Christmas period is, you know, what's it going to settle uh, down, uh, the, the, the mix between online and uh, uh, and offline, and that's that's going to be fascinating to see uh, what's going to happen uh, this Christmas. I mean, there is some evidence that the that huge growth rate of e-commerce has uh, started to ease back, particularly in say the food sector, for um, ob- obvious reasons. Um, I think one thing we definitely are seeing, and that's not just uh, in the UK, certainly in the US as well, with the the supply chain. Uh, crisis that uh, retail and other business sectors is is uh, having to contend with, where there's uh, the real threat of shortages of certain products. What that's leading to is, is Christmas has definitely been brought forward uh, earlier. We're you know hearing from retailers in m- many places um, that you know shopping for Christmas started earlier, um, and you know people are. Uh, have been worried about uh, getting particularly toys, obviously, those key products, but also uh, the big uh, uh, food retailers are reporting that people are stocking up um, early uh, in the essential food areas uh, for for Christmas. Um, So it's not quite sure we know quite the answer yet on that mix between online and uh, offline. you know, I, I think convenience and being sure that you can get what you need you know, is going to favour uh, on online purchases. You know, people are going to be searching to make sure they can get it and place in their orders. So I, I mean, I, I, I think uh, from a store point of view, that's going to be the case. But, you know, Christmas is Christmas in terms of, you know, when we think about what Christmas was like last year, which, uh, as uh, the, the, the popular media called it, Christmas was cancelled. I mean, I think people don't want to repeat that. And I think that sense of you're seeing, you know, Christmas decorations and the towns and cities and the stores looking 
uh, great again. You know, you know, will that drive footfall and people wanting to have that Christmas experience? We're not quite sure yet, but um, I think we can say it's going to be a better Christmas than last year. That's for sure. Yeah, I've certainly noticed among just friends that people are seem to already be um, getting the decorations up like really early this year. Um, Laura, do you see a sign of it going uh, one way? I mean, I feel like people love to go out and feel all Christmassy, don't they, and hit the shops. I, I'm hoping that that kind of wish to kind of get the, in the Christmas mood will, will take people back out. Yeah, absolutely. I think probably what we're going to see is a bit of a kind of hybrid approach to people shopping for Christmas this year. So kind of marrying the, uh, you know, some online shopping with some in-store shopping. I think the in-store shopping will largely be around the experience, you know, people with families, people with kids, um, people who may be worried about uh, not being able to get what they want online. So, you know, maybe they're trying to hunt it down in store and wrestle someone over the last, um, you know, toy in Selfridges or whatever it is. But um, I think what we'll definitely see is a continuation of this kind of omni-channel approach to shopping where people were sort of doing click and collect, curbside retail, that saw a huge, huge spike last year, people opting to buy online and pick up in store and I think um, that will definitely continue but just to kind of go back to what Ian was saying about the the disruption in terms of the global supply chain it's going to be really really difficult for people to get hold of some things Uh, some retailers are kind of holding back on discounting because they want to kind of retain their inventory for as long as possible to kind of maintain stock levels Um, I think it's going to be really difficult to um, keep pace with the consumer demand especially for a lot of retailers Um, and obviously the situation is is not really going away so um, that's why people are kind of buying earlier they're being encouraged to celebrate earlier and I think um, a lot of the campaigns that have come out I know that uh, Very in the UK and uh, some of the other big retailers released their Christmas campaigns I think um, on the 1st of October I want to say which was the earliest it's ever been Um, so just kind of anticipating this huge demand and knowing that there's going to be huge expectations and, and not enough supply in many parts of the world for many products. So, um, yeah, I think in answer to your question, it's going to be this combination of online shopping and in-store, um, but we are going to see this uh, continuation of this huge spike in kind of these uh, omni-channel fulfillment services. So things like bringing your items to your car and things like that. But I think most importantly, retailers really, really need to be prepared around things like staffing and um you know, fulfillment, because there's going to be a lot of shoppers with a lot of different kind of hybrid needs and the season will be quite disrupted again, I think. Mm, I mean, um, going back to kind of the shuttering of, of stores um, and the kind of closures we've seen, uh, I wonder what kind of, I know there's been a big discussion in the UK, Ian, about sort of business rates and how retailers can be helped with uh, bricks and mortar. What role do you see, um, or policies do you see, um, kind of the retail world needing? Well, it's a really good point because what you raise there, it's it is it is a very specifically UK problem or issue, but it is in greater or lesser degree seen in other markets. But it's just the sheer cost of running sort of physical space. Um, you know, but but in the UK, yeah, as you as you mentioned, you know, business rates are you know huge disproportionate. To, uh, tax for retail businesses or any, anyone uh, operating sort of uh, uh, properties in t- towns and cities, city centres. Um, and 
you know, uh, in the last uh, recent budgets, uh, the uh, UK Chancellor Exchequer brought in some uh, mild reforms, and you know, they're, again, they're continuing to look at this, but they're they're not looking at a, a radical sort of uh, shake up of uh, the business rates, and you know, the British Retail Consortium and you know, uh, all leading retailers are st- still saying it's uh, uh, it's it's not a level playing field. Um, and it's really going to drive more of the bigger retailers or, or retailers generally to to close more stores. Uh, you know, perhaps you know more of a tipping point than they would need to uh, to close. We we have seen uh, you know, lots of closures. It goes back to a, a structural issue in uh, many um, countries around the world, where you know over the eighties uh, and nineties and two uh, thousands, you know, retail grew on the back of uh, boom years and it was the that was the retail model was to open physical space where we're in a different uh, different world now um but also when you you know when you've got situations like um, the, the the cost base driven by tax uh, and uh, and and rents rent levels which uh, aren't aren't uh, related to the reality of, of today then these are big issues and they you know they're going to force uh, uh, a structural change in retail that, that perhaps could be avoided, I think. We were talking, Laura, about how it's it, it's quite regional, the impact of on retail. Like, it's very much a kind of... Um, US, UK, uh, UK um, Euro- European problem, but other world regions like APAC have have actually um, not really suffered such a, a great number of losses and closures. Do you see that, um, Laura, just APAC just sort of going from strength to strength? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, they're way ahead of the curve um, in the APAC region when it comes to that kind of digital shopping experience where you're kind of marrying the physical and the digital. And I think with the advancement of the metaverse um, and physical stores becoming much more experiential and the, all this new technology which is coming out, which is kind of helping to merge the two channels of kind of online and offline shopping, I think there's some incredible examples already coming out of, of APAC. If you look at what, what they were doing uh, with the most recent Singles Day, which was uh, last Thursday, I believe, um, some brands were already kind of uh, launching these amazing activations um, across uh, different platforms. So they had these kind of VR designed multi-brand events um, where shoppers could buy, you know, NFT artworks. And it was sponsored by brands like Burberry and Coach and things. And it was this combination of, of fidget uh, physical and digital or digital. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, what, what they do really well in, in, in China, especially is they are so good at drawing people into the store, especially young people, because they have this kind of, uh, this sort of clout chasing shopper who is obsessed with novelty, who's obsessed with kind of, uh, showing off on their, uh, on their social media, on their TikTok. And, and what the stores do really well over there is they actually, enable content creation in the stores. So if you look at kind of L'Oreal and uh, what they've done in their new store in Shanghai is they've kind of opened up this big 
space where basically people can come in and they can create TikToks, they can live stream, they can make YouTube videos from the store and it's all set up and enabled to do that. And so, um, you know, you're kind of creating all this content, you're broadcasting it, live streaming it to your friends and then your friends are incentivized to come into the store. And so it's this kind of whole new angle on experiential retail, which is really interesting. And it's kind of, it is coming over here in, in the West, but they've already really nailed it in, in APAC. And I think Another thing about the region in, in particular is that they didn't have as many shutdowns as we had. Uh, they were able to mobilize very quickly. They all have a very strong e-commerce infrastructure, um, which obviously, you know, a lot of the brands over here didn't have. So that's why we did see uh, so much kind of um, death of the high street and, and stores and brands suffering because they struggled to adapt as much. Completely agree with Laura there. What um, what we've just seen with uh, 1111, because it's now a whole shopping festival over 11 days in, in China, which uh, um, was started by Alibaba, but but all all retailers now joining. But what, just talking to particularly Alibaba uh, in the West, so to speak, uh, you know, Christmas, of course, is planned as, as a, as a as a program, but the level of planning in, in China that I was uh, hearing about from the key players, uh, working with brands, working with international retailers, and developing new product lines and, and really understanding the Chinese consumer and coming up with new and exciting uh, experiential approaches as well as uh, you know, literally new you know, bespoke product lines uh, for the festival. I mean, th- this for me sort of shows part of the way forward that retail needs to go if you know it's uh, it has to create that excitement and that level of engagement with uh, with consumers can't just rely on the fact that it's uh, the golden quarter it's the holiday season you know it's it, it needs a new level of uh, of planning and understanding and, and using the exciting new opportunities that exist whether it's live streaming or social media like tiktok um um to to to, to really reach consumers in a, in a new and exciting way both in store and uh, online of course i just wondered joe you're you're doing our wonderful city guides every month what what kind of things are you well they, they're great they're so great for people that aren't traveling anymore any of our clients that are kind of stuck and um looking for inspiration around the world so so what kind of experiential retail things are happening and are you seeing in in some of your um city reports that you've been doing well yeah, we're seeing a, a lot of exciting concepts. Um, I mean, looking again, like you were saying, across to APAC, um, there's some fantastic um, whole cultural and artistic experiences around the, the concept of a mall in that region. Um, and um, in Hong Kong, our, our correspondent in Hong Kong um, has been looking a lot at, at the, the concepts cropping up there and one that's been established for a while actually k11 musea is a really great example of um how um a mall can can merge um art and culture into the whole retail experience but also nature um and it it really prioritizes nature it's got an outdoor nature park it's got an urban farm it hosts events such as gardening and art workshops for kids. Um, and in the summer, it, it even created this whole indoor skate park where visitors could take part in skate park boarding workshops. So it's, um, it's created this sort of destination, especially for young people, I think, who don't just want to go shopping. Um, they, they want to, to have a whole 
um, recreational experience, a whole and, and and something that that makes them feel like they've passed the day um, in a good way, in a in a, a sort of um, in a in a thoughtful way and 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 there's more more than just it's more than just about retail and shopping but of course that is part of the part of the element of it and that's why it works really i think um it's just giving you those different aspects um of an experience so yeah i think definitely like the others said asia um is is a real innovator for those exciting new complexes and i mean presumably with the all the kind of shuttered um, empty lots in the US and UK. This is presumably the age of the pop-up as well, or it's really able to come into its own uh, sort of temporary um, stores. So yeah, are you seeing that too, that kind of um, pick-up? Pop-ups, I think, uh, I mean, they again, they, they've been around for a long time now, but I think they're really coming of age um, and becoming established, the established way for a brand to... Um, either launch a new collection or create some buzz or test a new market, um, but also just um, you know bring together their community around around something, creating this sort of destination space to bring their communities together around a brand. Um, and I think Gucci has um, recently opened a new concept called Circolo. I think I've pronounced that right. Um, in in Shoreditch and other cities, um, and the one in Shoreditch is really nice example of um, engaging the community locally. It calls itself a neighbourhood centric space. It partners with local brands. It hosts events, but also the space itself is designed to be explored like a private home. So it has its own listening lounge where you can listen to music. There's a bookstore, a cafe. Um, so again, I think it's a very sophisticated version of of the concept of a pop up. Mm. Are you thinking? Uh, there's also is there going to, going to be a kind of um, confluence of of now that the office is sort of is a question mark over the office and people returning to offices and whether we'll go back to office culture. Um, I know that there's a move with um, hospitality with people working in um, in hotels and restaurants, but are we kind of seeing that um, retailers are also offering places for people to work? So there's a blending of, 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 of that, like co-working in a retail space. Um, definitely. I think Shopify New York is a good example because it's... Um, it's opened a space where you can, I think you can go and um, record podcasts and work there as well. So you can rent rent um, studios by the hour. So it's sort of, again, selling product, but also engaging local businesses or local entrepreneurs to come and work within the space as well. So that's a nice example of two concepts in one. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's like it's supposed to be a kind of entrepreneurial hub for uh, you know, members or, or customers and you can kind of come in and there's like a retail store and there's like a podcast studio and a photo studio and things like that. But I think, you know, more and more we've been talking about the idea of, of the store or the mall or the department store or any kind of retailer that's really struggling to 
um, you know, think about what to do with their square footage, you know, legacy retailers who have a big portfolio, who have a lot of space. Um, and I think really what it comes down to is this idea of, um, you know, thinking about your space as the new kind of third place of people wanting to spend more time there beyond shopping or beyond, you know, transiting home. How can people come to to work, to exercise, to eat, to socialise in your store? You know, may, maybe shopping is the, the sideline activity. And obviously this was something that was kind of picking up pace pre-pandemic and then it had a huge hiatus. But it really is coming back where, you know, we're looking at people who are who are thinking about, you know, how can I craft my space around remote working? How can I put fast Wi-Fi and comfortable seating areas into my store? How can I draw people in for extended periods of time? you know, encourage them to kind of eat meals here and and come here and and even work out here and, you know, offering things like exercise classes, like Selfridges has had soul cycle classes in their store. You can get married there now. I mean, obviously that's an extreme example, but, you know, we've got indoor cycling tracks in the Funan Mall in Singapore and things like that. But but just, you know, this idea of kind of making the shopping space a, a very kind of comprehensive um destination really for for people to come and i think that's especially important because you know fewer people are seeing the necessity of, of visiting a store if they can buy something online so you really have to give people a lot more reason to kind of get out and, and shop and um that's where you know this idea of this the, the store is the third place is coming in i completely agree and just looking at what's going to drive footfall and, and you, you can really see it in towns and cities as they've reopened i mean uh, people are rushing back to eat out and go to bars and, and socialise. You know, if if we're not seeing that uptick quite so much in um, brick and mortar retail, we're definitely seeing it in, uh, um, I say, bars and restaurants um, uh, and places to go. And I think we need to look at um, what's that, you know, the, the mix between retail and f- uh, food and beverage to to, to make towns and city centres attractive places to go because I think um, it's just going to be a different balance. But I think there's, we should take real encouragement from uh, how well, because, you know, let's be honest, casual dining was a tough sector before the pandemic hit. Um, but, you know, now we're seeing sort of uh, new bars and restaurants not necessarily uh, uh, run by big chains sort of opening up. And that's, uh, I think, an important new trend where we're seeing, you know, people flocking to... Um, new new bars, new new restaurants, and and retail can learn from that and also benefit from that uh, from that footfall. And and like Laura says, also you know how can retail use its space, redundant space, to to bring in some of those uh, uh, new ideas to to help drive footfall into um, into the retail space. You know, I've been tracking uh, retail spaces for a long time and and stores. And I think there's a lot of really, really exciting new concepts and formats, which are going to come into the mainstream next year. Um, we're seeing, you know, things like mobile stores, um, and on the road retail and this idea of, you know, the store at your door kind of coming through, um, you know, bringing, bringing the store really directly to customers' doors in a very kind of creative and a personalized way, whether that's, um, you know, an actual kind of trundling along um, store, you know, within a within a truck or whether it's, um, you know, Louis Vuitton, what they did 
in spring this year where they had a, a traveling capsule store which kind of brought um personalized selection of products to all of their top sellers in california it was like a mobile boutique so things like that um i'm also seeing the return of the shopping shop i mean we used to call it a concession but um you know the shopping shop concept is not new at all but it's having a, a huge kind of renaissance and a big evolution because retailers and department stores are really thinking about how they can rethink their store layouts as, as people are buying online more and more and that's where we're seeing these kind of really interesting retailer crossovers things like target bringing apple into their stores i think they're upping it to about 36 across the us now in time for christmas so you can go into any target and you can buy apple products um john lewis is putting um, mini versions of its stores into into waitrose grocery stores that kind of thing and then obviously in the beauty space you have target and Ulta, which is a huge kind of cosmetics cosmetics and beauty retailer also Coles and sephora so just idea of kind of driving traffic in in new ways and kind of solving problems around square footage by making it a little bit more experiential making it more fun you know giving people a reason to come in um and yeah really speaking to that shift i mean presumably there's also here because of the empty um shops and things in in the us and uk is there a bit more opportunity for new young emerging brands to actually get some space in on a high street yeah definitely i think you know what we're seeing is this um more much more flexibility around leasing strategies because you know people don't want to pay into really long leases anymore they don't know whether their store is going to succeed um they don't know whether they're going to have a market so you know they want to be a bit more temporary they want to be a bit more ephemeral um and that's where we're seeing you know these kind of more flexible formats um, um, even stores which are kind of which can be moved from location to location as I was saying before not just mobile but um, you know like a temporary store made from things like reused shipping containers you know even created out of flat pack boxes that kind of thing there's a accessories brand in the US called uh Kuyana or Kuyana, I think I've uh, said that right. But um, they're experimenting with this new store design, which is basically like made up of um, these three kind of shipping container sized boxes. And you can kind of attach them together to create this showroom. And it trundles around America and it pops up and it has like this beautiful store design inside it. Um, And, you know, it's, it's a really good way of introducing the brand to new markets quickly and easily. But just to go back to what you were saying about emerging brands as well, I think what we're seeing is much more um, uh, openness from traditional retailers to open up their stores to emerging brands. And even this idea of kind of sharing space. Um, we first talked about shared space stores, I think back in like 2016, when retailers were kind of starting to build alliances with each other, because, you know, you have brand and brand collaborations a lot, but it's quite rare that you see like retail, retail collaborations um, you know, with mm-hmm. with stores actually opening up their space to other stores um, and saying, you know, let's work together for half the rent or, you know, we can expose each other, you mm. know, we can be exposed to a new customer base. Um, we had, you know, Nordstrom opened up their uh, three of their stores earlier this year to Dover Street Market, which was really interesting because, you know, bringing Dover Street Market Paris into Nordstrom in the US, like that's the first time that DSM has ever done something like that. They essentially put a downsized version of their store into Nordstrom. Um, And, you know, it's a real kind of sign of the times. It's like, you know, retail is kind of evolving and it's very challenging. So how can how can retailers team up and really think, hey, let's open a collective. I know that next year Uniqlo and Theory are opening a joint store together on Regent Street. And that's the first time in history that the two 
Yeah, so the two brands they're gonna they're gonna share the same store on on Regent Street. So it's gonna be I think Uniglow is gonna be on the first two floors, and and Theory is gonna be kind of interspersed between it, and you can walk from one space to the other. So, you know, it's just really interesting new strategies around bringing that idea of you know different brands and and different experiences. And I think if you look at what Stella McCartney did as well earlier this year when when she opened up after the lockdown and her Bond Street store, she gave her entire store over to host a series of pop-ups from local emerging brands in London. So instead of, you know, opening back up and being like, here I am, I'm Stella, I'm back, you know, buy my clothes, she actually handed it over her space to local businesses. So she had like a flower studio in there, she had a Hackney coffee store, um, she had beauty treatments from Face Gym and that kind of thing. So it's just a really nice way of kind of retailers like letting their guard down a bit and letting people in and um, thinking more collaboratively. I love this kind of like a mobile store, but there is also this growth, isn't there, of um, rural retail hubs as well, because um, people have emigrated out of cities and there's a whole kind of mass exodus of of many um, cities to sort of secondary cities and, and rural locations. So what's happening there, Joe? You're seeing, I think you've got some good examples, um, again, from APAC. Yeah, I think... Um these really sort of remote destination uh, stores are popping up and there's one in Japan um, called Le Six, which is a new concept store uh, which has opened in the country's least populated prefecture of Totori um, and it combi- combines a space that stocks menswear and jewellery um, plus there's a bookstore but there's also an open workshop where you can see craftspeople working on the garments um, and so the space um, really reflects the rural location the rural location is woven into the whole store design and the whole customer experience so it really the two kind of are really important and it becomes I think a destination for people to travel to as well which is um is kind of this added element to it another interesting uh, concept is the anya highmarch has done her kind of virtually her whole street or whatever what other kind of um urban hubs if you like or retail hubs developments are we seeing yeah i mean i think the anya one is really nice because it's creating this sort of mini neighborhood within a big city um, I think she's done a really great job of creating um, something that is a real special um, place that you can you can go and hang out in. There's a hair salon, there's a cafe, there's a bespoke shop, and her plastic shop, which which shows showcases her sustainable lines. Um, but um, outside um, those bigger cities, we're seeing developments which um, prioritise nature alongside retail. So there's one in actually in Texas, in um, the city of Fort Worth, um, a development called Clear Fork, which mixtures, which um, mixes retail, dining and green space on ranch land in the heart of the city. So apart from the, the stores there, it also has hike and bike trails, um, luxury living, entertainment and offices. And there's another um, new concept, a more concept in Miami called Upper Buena Vista, which describes itself as an open air sanctuary and combines retail restaurants, but also natural spaces, an events hub, and it's even got a meditation centre. So it's really sort of um, emphasising that well-being aspect of, of a day out shopping. It's not just about buy, buy, buy. It's also about taking the time out.
much time left, but I wanted to ask who's really innovating with um, the actual store and anything you've seen, Joe, that's um, very exciting. I know we've talked about a lot already, but um, what else is on the horizon that, you, that you've seen that you, it impresses you? Um, well, we've been tracking the trend for product-free concepts. Um, so there's the new Bottega Veneta space called The Maze, um, where visitors go through this sort of immersive labyrinth which is um, completely decked out in a really <clears throat> um, intense, hyper bright green. Um, and you explore different areas with textures like metallics and then soft installations of these faux foxtails. So it's very, very surreal. It's very sort of hypersensorial. Um, and so that's that's another new trend that we're looking at. There's uh, stores that kind of bombard all the sensors in different ways as well. That sounds a little bit like um, a while ago, a few years ago, as Devlin did that fantastic pop-up down in Peckham with, um, I can't remember the brand now, which is terrible, but it was like, a, I think it was a perfume brand and it, it wasn't selling anything. I remember that, yeah. Um, and it just had, didn't it just have one product and then you could also, I can't remember, you could you could go in and, and you could also smell it, but it was very much um, engaging all the senses might have been Chanel, but I guess this is all great fodder, right, for people's social media. So it's just feeding into that whole, that whole element. So yeah, bring in, bring in play then, bring in play to the, to the bricks and mortar, which of course, as you said already, there's like the skate park, isn't there, at Selfridges and things like that. So that's really already happening. I wanted to like, ask actually about how retail brands might have to pivot because we've seen IKEA now is going to be selling renewable energy. John Lewis is moving into property. And I just wondered um, what other changes you see brands making. You know, will they always just sell product? Will they move into sort of education or other roles? And I wanted to throw that question to Ian first. I think it's a fascinating question because it's, really, it's a really interesting area that, um, you know, some retailers are starting to think about this. It's, you know, they they understand who their customers are or they certainly should and they, uh, you know, have amazing riches of data. And I think we're at that point where um, retailers have to stop thinking about their, their, that their brand can only sell the product that's uh, on their website in their four walls, that they have relationships uh, with, with their customers as individuals or communities and you know we've seen people like lululemon sort of thinking completely differently and not just about what they sell it's about how they can interact with their their customers through you know creating you know you know famously yoga classes of course but uh, so much more than that and thinking about beyond what their what their brand is and i think this is going to be an interesting area to 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 watch actually you know how can you stretch your brand into creating whole new different sort of services. Um, um, it's funny, it just reminds me when I think back to when George Davis was running Next, he was a real pioneer of, you know, he, he could imagine that that brand which started as women's wear, then went into men's wear, then children's wear, then into, you know, famously gardening catalogues and home, of course, and, and you know, a, a real early pioneer in saying, well, you know, what does the brand stand for? How can I stretch this brand? How can I build into other areas or services and um, you know the, the, the things you touch on there Beth and I think this is going to be a rich area to, to watch I think there's real opportunities for retail to, to reinvent itself. 
Yeah, and especially, obviously, with the big um, you know, climate emergency that we're currently uh, facing, there's clearly got to be almost a shift um, for, for companies and brands. I mean, um, do you see that, Laura? Do you see, um, you're our sort of retail expert, do you see this sort of, we, we know about IKEA, we know about John Lewis, can you see other places you can imagine brands kind of moving towards? I know we've already got gamification with... Um, you know, luxury fashion, but are there other maybe um, roles you can see them playing in the future in society? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, retailers are very aware that their spaces need to become multi-use environments. You know, they need to become useful, especially if they have a lot of uh, a lot of excess space. And I think, you know, in, in, in many cases, people like John Lewis, you know, they're already recognising that and they're kind of repurposing uh, shopping centres and space into condominiums, into homes. Um, old malls are kind of being replaced with with housing space, which is obviously a lot more environmentally responsible than uh, starting from scratch. And it kind of allows housing and retail to kind of coexist together, which is obviously, you know, the future of the mall, as we've been saying, where kind of homes and food shops and restaurants and leisure mm. and everything can coexist together. But I think where I'm really interested in, you know, the future of space and the future of retail space, physical space in particular, is where we're going to see this convergence of the physical store and, you know, the digital, uh, the digital world. So this idea of the store as broadcast studio, we've been talking about it for a while, but I'm, I'm really excited to see how the shop floor is going to continue to be redesigned with broadcasting for live video in mind. Um, because, you know, the yeah. store is going to increasingly become this kind of content studio where people are going to have virtual consultations and they're going to live stream and they're going to create TikToks in it. And, um, you know, we saw this huge pivot towards video chat during the pandemic and we've seen some some really interesting retailers already like Gucci, um, you know, using their store really as a as a, as a broadcast studio to um, to live stream from and kind of using the, the store as a backdrop. And I think that will be really interesting to see how that kind of plays out. Um, in the future and looking at, you know, how these kind of, as I touched on before, metaverse activations can be brought into the store as well. Selfridges did a really interesting shopping experience back in October with Charlie Cohen, who's a designer, and it was this huge kind of um, Pokemon-themed um, 3D virtual world activation where it was kind of all in store, but it was all powered on your phone and you could have kind of did you could browse digital fashion and there was an AR Snapchat lens and you could shop kind of blockchain powered items and you could pay on your digital wallet. So just that kind of thing. I, I'm really excited to see what's what's going to happen there as, as as digital increasingly encroaches on physical space. What um, final question for you, Joe? What are you you know, you've got a gl- global view of all the things that are happening. Um, what's sort of exciting to you about the sort of potential future of of bricks and mortar? Well, I'm really interested in biophilic design and how that can be integrated into retail and, um, you know, and, and store landscapes. So I'm, I'm really excited about how stores um, of the future will be able to, and hopefully will be able to integrate nature and green space more into, into what they offer. You know, things like um, rooftops, um, being converted into rewilding spaces to bring to bring nature back in into that urban space, um, you know some some places are already doing it where they've got um, rooftop farms to grow the produce that then um, you can eat in the restaurants and the malls. So it, it's I think that's a really exciting element of 
um, of retail at the moment. And I think that will only grow, like you said, with, with this whole, with the climate emergency that we're facing. I think stores need to think about that when they're, when they're designing anything new. Um, how can they bring nature and, and the environment back to the forefront of what they're, what they're creating? Thank you to my guests this week, Ian McGarrigal, Laura Saunter and Joe McGinn for taking time to speak with us today. If you're a WGSN subscriber, you'll find reports covering many of the issues we touched upon on our Insight platform. And for a glimpse of the very latest retail developments in cities across the globe, do check out City by City. If you're a retailer and don't already know about our sister essential brand, World Retail Congress, quite clearly you should. So head to their website. Their next live event is from the 5th to the 7th of April in Rome 2022. If you want to find out how to subscribe, head over to wgsn.com to discover how you can get access to our service. We're constantly publishing new content focusing on how we can design a brighter, better future for our industries. And these now include food and drink, interiors, beauty, fashion and consumer tech. You can subscribe to this show on all major podcast platforms. And if you like what you've heard, why not leave us a rating and review on iTunes? That leaves me just to thank our podcast producer, Roland Bodenham, and we'll be back in two weeks for our next episode when our creative director, Lisa White, will be exploring how we can adopt a living systems approach to design as an inquiry into regenerative futures. And that's with Carol Collette, Professor in Design for Sustainable Futures at Central St. Martins. So stay well and we'll see you next time. (laughs) 